I'm Roxy. And I'm Priska. And we are the, the two, two Honey Girls. We're just two horny goats climbing the mountain of life. Eating Asian American stereotypes for breakfast. Speaking of breakfast, welcome to episode 11, where we will discuss food, food, and food, the food. Food, 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 <laughs> ah, the food. I can't wait to talk about this topic because I feel like we've been delving Same. into some pretty intimate fucking shit the past couple episodes, yeah. right? But this is still intimate in a different way. <laughs> it is intimate, but it's more like sweet, like happy memories. You know what I mean? Instead of like trauma, <laughs> which we love. We love a good trauma moment. Like, don't get us wrong. Like, we love it. But you guys know we do. But <laughs> We love sharing pain on two horny goats in like the most decadent yeah. <laughs> way. But food makes us super horny. So uh, we're excited to talk about Ooh, this today. But um, <laughs> hey, uh, Priska, what's like nine days away? <laughs> oh, my God. Um. Um, is it the election? Yeah, it's also the end of Mercury retrograde, and the meteorite is also oh. hitting Earth on that exact same day. Big whoop. Oh, wait, a meteorite is hitting Earth? What's yes, happening? Yes, you didn't know about that? I mean, most likely it's no? not going to hit us. But, like, it's headed for Earth, and it's, like, predicted to hit us impact. It's a very small one. It's nothing crazy. It's not like the dinosaurs, nothing like that. It's not like the dinosaurs. So okay. chill, chill, chill. But, um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was slated to hit us uh, on November 3rd. So uh, that's really exciting. You know what I love about 2020 is it's an overachiever. <laughs> <laughs> it is an A-plus student going for that extra credit. And it's fucking the rest of us over. It's seriously fucking the rest of us over. It's like the person who was like in a group project and then they kind of just did their own thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're, yeah. they're like, oh, no, well, I wrote this essay all by myself. So let's burn the rest of y'all yeah. and let me get all the credit. Or that asshole who sets that curve like stupidly <sighs> high. <laughs> What a dick. What a dick. Every bio class I've ever been in has been like this one person sets the curve and you're like, really? You're the only person who got a 92. Everyone's like 60 and below. You really fucked us, Chester. Well, hopefully we could take it back. We could go fuck the student who like set the curve on November yeah. 3rd. Not that I'm saying that Trump is that person because he's far from that person. But anyways, I just want to take this year back and hopefully the next yep. four years back. So please go vote. Yeah. I mean, at this point when this releases, hopefully you voted already. And that the elections, will the election be over when this is? The elections will be over oh, by shit, the time this is going insane. out. that is fucking insane. So you guys are in the future and you know what happened. So please, this, <laughs> please send energies back to us so we can get an inkling. <laughs> I know. <laughs> time is not linear. We're still going through it in the now. Um, so yeah, Prescott. Energy check-in. How are you feeling? I'm doing a lot better, Rox. Um, you know, I, I, I think we talked about just being super burnt out last week. And um, I'm, I think I'm trying to figure out some of my time. And my my life coach was just trying to say, like, you know, all the things that you're doing, if you can batch them out so they're not um, worrying you every day of the week. But, you know, you just do food videos on Wednesdays. You just do music covers on Saturdays. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been helping because I always like I'm very, very scatterbrained. I want always want to do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It drives my husband crazy because as he's cooking, I'm like already absentmindedly like cleaning things and putting <laughs> things away from him. And he's like, I'm not done. Here. <laughs> I'm like, OK, sorry. <laughs> like, I'm just always like like my hands are too busy, you know, mm. and then that reflects my 
my mind, Mm -hmm. but I think I've been doing a lot better. How are you, Roxy? I've been seeing on your Instagram stories and in your text messages that things are not okay in Utah. (laughs) It's so cold. (laughs) Oh my God. What's the temp right now? Yeah. I mean, right now it's freaking snowing. So, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I'm so lucky to be inside today. I mean, but, uh, you know, I'm working on this really incredible show. It's just that there are these shooting conditions. It is so cold here. Like, I think it was dipping into the tens and twelves like this week while we're shooting night exteriors. I had like a cup of hot tea. I know. And, um, you know, and everyone's like doing their best. We're, you know, definitely pushing through. And, you know, I've always dreamt of like shooting in extreme weather conditions, you know, thinking about, oh, being on location, being in the snow. And now that I've sort of been in it, I'm like, I don't like this. (laughs) No, because it fucking seeps into your bones. It does. It really does. And, um, um, you know, like I think a PA ran me some hot tea because, you know, we're out in the field and um, yeah. and uh, they got us like ice tents with like portable heaters inside. Um, but, oh you know, God. it's still rough. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like you don't really feel it because your your hands and feet are so cold. But like he got me this oh. hot tea and literally I was like working and like an hour later I tried to drink it and there was ice in it. Oh my God. It, it went from like surreal. boiling, steaming hot to fucking icicles. To ice. Yeah. It was, it, there was ice in it. And, you know, um, anyways. That's not okay. It's, I mean, no, this weather is totally not okay. But like, you know, I, we, we are this, this, we have one more week here shooting. I'm having a blast, you know, making this project. Okay. And I, um, I, I can't, also can't wait to go back to LA because I think like yeah. now I'm really shaken up with, you know, I, I think you really take things for granted and the life always continues to serve you platters of reality checks whenever you <laughs> feel like, oh my God, like I wish that I had this, you know, and then yeah. you go and you have it and then you are just so appreciative of like everything that you have. So I, yeah. I I'm grateful for this job. I'm learning so much and I'm having a fucking blast. And also yeah. I can't wait to go back to LA. I can't wait to hug my dog. Yeah. I can't wait to see you. I can't oh, wait to, yeah, yeah. you know, I can't wait to see yeah. everyone and we like have to feed you i know and i need food like honestly yeah. like i can't eat yeah. sandwiches <laughs> no white people like <laughs> i literally like in ashland part of why i was so depressed was the food like that was honestly i didn't realize how much like food kept me going even through difficult times you know what i mean mm-hmm. and i can't imagine how you've been there for like so long like I've only been here for a month here in Park City and I'm about to go crazy. That's all it takes, though. You know, I mean, short time, long time, you you you're feeling that pull. And I think more so than anything, like it, it's it's a be careful what you wish for. It's like a, a city girl uh, assumption that being in the country is going to be X, Y, Z. But once mm-hmm. you get there, you're like, oh, but I'm made for the city stuff. Yes. You know? Yes, yeah. I'm made for the culture. I'm made for yeah. the noise. I'm made yeah. for, yeah, and uh, after a while it gets kind of annoying, but I think as humans, it's natural to take breaks from everything once in a while to recalibrate yeah. and like understand what's so wonderful about the life you have. So, um, so true. I can't wait to go back to LA. I have another project that starts up shortly afterwards. So, um, it's going to be, you know, a final sprint to the end of the year. Um, and you know, it's like what you were talking about last time. I am also trying to not experience burnout. 
yeah. um, or manage it in the best way possible. So, And that's so tough because you're the director. I mean, you're not just someone who's part of this production. Like this is like your Helm's Deep, like your Peter Jackson, like Lord of the Rings moment, you oh know? So it's like <laughs> you're so you many. Peter Jackson? Oh my God. I did. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, you guys should make t-shirts like I think they did that said like I survived night shoots in utah <laughs> i know a month of night shoots priscilla i don't think i've a seen so much night, night. yeah i don't think i've seen so much night forever you're like on taiwan time <laughs> i'm literally in taiwan time <laughs> you're i am like full jet, on lag. jet lag <laughs> oh my god but it's beautiful think i mean us doing this episode today i actually get to get up and like look at the snowfall so little things wow i'm getting old sunshine i'm getting so like whizzed like sagely drinking tea taking the sun oh my god no time to make tea so i'm drinking once you say like oh it's like then you know you're old (laughs) for sure but yeah let's get into it i've just got a little icebreaker for you my babe um if you could go back and eat one meal from your past what would it be this sounds so insane but it's like literally my favorite thing to eat and i i think i said before on this podcast that like even though i grew up in the netherlands and new jersey and you know Southern California, Taiwan was the only place that was uh, like my shelter of stability growing up Mm. because I moved so much around the domestic United States and Europe. And like, I remember like in Tainan in the South of Taiwan, where my grandmother's house is, that's where I always would be. And there's an alley just steps away from our house that would have a bunch of street food. And um, my favorite thing to eat because like, you know, it's like families own those vendor stalls and it's yeah. like generations of traditional family recipes just selling one specific thing. Oh, my God. Like um, lumpia, you know, like lumpia, like, yeah. like I'm going to go into this a little later. That's and all of that. And my favorite thing to eat was um, wakwe, which was, <gasps> um, you know, like like I steamed rice bowl like glutinous rice bowl and it's like oh my god they can never do it right in the united states like even in la even in st gabriel it's just there's something about like the tainanese walkway with the sauce on it that just comes steaming hot out of like um the steamer and like it's it's salty delicious comforting hearty has shiitake mushrooms and pork in it and you just dig this little stick fork in it (laughs) and it is literally this taste of nostalgia for me like I just remember every time I go back to Tainan all my aunts and uncles would be like oh Roxy you know like Roxy wants walkway so (laughs) even though like they'll always have like a takeout container of walkway for me whenever I go back and visit so that's my favorite thing what about you um so I guess Mine, like, I think the meal that I would go back for, go back into my past for, um, is my grandmother. She lived with us for a, a long time and she literally made, um, jiang gua rou or kind of like just like lu rou fan, mm-hmm. um, type of thing every day for us. And it wasn't quite jiang gua rou. It was like, I mean, it wasn't quite lu rou fan. It was like minced pork with some sort of broth and like some sort of like pickled, um, pepper mm-hmm. and like, 
diced up really fine and like cooked together. You pour it over rice. It's like fatty. It's glistening, gives you all the energy you need. And I ate that every day for, I think like five years straight, like never stopped. And even when I went to college, um, she would make me huge batches to take with me like frozen. And I would always like, if I had friends over, I would chop off a little piece of that frozen block and like heat it up for everyone. And for me, that is the epitome of home. And now that my grandmother's passed on. Um, it's one of those recipes that I think about all the time because I still, I don't know how she made it. I don't know the exact ingredients and I'm so fucking pissed at myself for not paying attention more, you know? And so those of you that have grandparents or even like parents that are really prolific cooks, like please take the time to sit with them, get their recipes, cook with them, watch how they do things. Because once it's gone, like that food history disappears with them. And I don't think I fully realized that until I lost my grandmother. Um, and yeah, so I think another one that I would definitely go back for in Taiwan is I remember the first morning I was there, uh, my mom took me around to some of the bakeries and we got bulopal <gasps> and they served it like what Shout they called it. Shout out to like, Sheldon Chow. <laughs> hey, Sheldon. Um, it's like a pineapple bun. There's no pineapples in it, but they they served it like Hong Kong style where they put a slab of butter inside. Yeah. So oh, it was yeah. like hot out of the oven. They, they chop a slab of butter and they stick it on the inside and they hand it to you. And it is like the most perfect morning experience of your entire life especially if you don't give a fuck about counting calories like i don't know that bite is heaven to me like it is heaven oh my god i feel like after this episode we need to book a flight to taiwan asap asap the two weeks of (laughs) quarantine in a hotel room but you know it's totally worth it like i'm here for it i mean whatever paperwork we have to do let's let's do it it. like let's get to taiwan oh gosh it's gonna be so great well, Rox, we have another very exciting thing before we di- dive into the topics. We have a note from the audience. <laughs> That's exciting. Oh, my God. Tell me all about it. What is in our fan mail? Um, so, you know, we've been telling you guys to email us. And this is the first one we've gotten. We're so excited. This is from a friend, Mario. Uh, I don't know Mario, but you know Mario? Yes, Mario. Hey, Mario. Shout out if you're listening hey. right now. Mario was a student at UCI and he is an um, emerging uh, cinematographer from UCI wow. and he is extremely talented and I can't wait to see what Mario's going to accomplish in the next couple of years and Mario I hope that you continue to grow in your craft because I'm telling you it's a lot of hard work but it's totally going to pay off <laughs> yes yes it totally is going to pay off um, I'm going to read this note from Mario um, I'm going to pretend to be Mario to <laughs> okay, you Roxy, just channel so. him <clears throat> <clears throat> I really enjoy your show. Mario sounds just like me. (laughs) I really enjoy your show. I play it all the time when I'm driving to work or when I'm washing my socks in the bathroom sink, like last night. (laughs) (laughs) My fave episodes so far are money, money, money. And what the fuck are the birds and the bees? I think what really works about your show for me is that every episode, I learn a little bit more about the two of you. And therefore, I feel invested when y'all begin to discuss your topics. So rocks, people like to get to know us. I want to be honest about something. When we first created this, I was like, what is our demographic? I was like, I'm pretty yeah. sure it's going to be majority Asian American women, specifically Taiwanese American women. But it's mm-hmm. just so refreshing to hear from because I know that um, Mario's Latinx and he's a guy, right. you know, and so it's uh, it's just so wonderful to know that we are reaching audiences outside of our perceived demographic. Like that is so exciting. Wow. Yes. And it's like, you know, just proof positive that the more specific you are about your experiences, the more universal they are. You know? Intersectionality. Hey. 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 <laughs> Thank you, Mario, for your comment. 
Santa. Thanks, Mario. If you guys have any comments, thoughts, questions for us, go ahead and email us. You know the email. It's hello, hello. at whohornygoats.com. <laughs> okay. So that being said, we're going to dive right in into our first topic, the food that nourished you. So going to your past, Ooh. I mean, senses and taste, olfactory senses, all of this, like just a whiff of it can bring you back to a certain time in your life. So yeah. Priska, your earliest food memory. My earliest food memory. Okay. Um, Since I was very young, we would have these dumpling making days. So basically it would be like a Saturday, usually a Saturday. And in the morning, like aunties and uncles would, would show up um, and someone would start making the shin, like the insides, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and then like, you know, someone is adding the pork, someone's adding the shrimp, someone's peeling shrimp, someone's adding, you know, cutting garlic, cutting all the, the things. And, um, and then so it's like, you get the, the stuff that's inside of the dumpling and everyone has their own kind of like seasoning or, um, way that they like to, to flavor it. So, you know, you have all the aunties and uncles kind of doing that. And then more aunties and uncles show up and everyone gets a little pack of dumpling skins. We didn't make the skins, you know, cause it was just like, we were just chilling all day making dumplings. Yeah. So everyone has this like giant thing of like the dumpling insides. Everyone gets a little pack of dumpling skins. I had my own little pack as a kid that I would just bathe in water because I was useless. But everyone would just be, you know, wrapping dumplings, talking, laughing, joking, dicking around all day. And at the end of the day, you freeze a bunch of them to, to send everyone home with. And then you, my dad or grandparents would cook batch after batch after batch as we were still wrapping them. So you're just like eating them, wrapping them, talking, laughing. Some of my favorite memories. It's so interesting every time I hear about your experiences because like you have such a large family and you guys yeah. do so much together. And that is exactly the type of culture and family culture that Taiwan has. You know, yeah. it's like if I still lived in Taiwan, that's what we would do on weekends with my extended family too. Totally. Like my grandmother yeah. would have lumpian, you know, making parties and like, you know, everybody would get together and like eat together and like, you know, just make stuff and, and do a big family meal. But because I grew up so separate, I never got to mm. experience that, you know. And Oh my goodness. My I did experience it, but only, you know, when I went back to visit, like, and I would yeah. have it like once a year. And it's just so odd, the buzz, the energy of everyone yeah. talking and laughing, everybody knowing about each other's lives and, and the details of everything, you know? Yeah. I think growing up in the church kind of had that built into it. But when yeah. you guys were in the Netherlands, did you have any other Taiwanese family friends or no, like <laughs> no there were one. none? Huh? I mean, we had like what my babysitter, you know, and she, Aunt Linda, that's what I would call her. And, but she's not really blood family and there was nobody oh. else. I'm like, thinking my grandpa, my grandmothers both visited me and my parents, uh, when I was still a baby. But aside from that, that was it. And, you know, my oh. parents just really had to go through it on their own. And traveling back to Taiwan from the Netherlands was like a 23-hour travel. You know, it was, you had to take two flights. It was a very, very long journey. And so I remembered my, um, my earliest food memory. And it's so interesting because I wanted to talk about Dutch food, but it's always like the Asian food and the food that connects you to your heritage and culture that Mm. really triggers and spikes something in you. And I remember the first time I had Tang Yun and, um, sesame Tang Yun, sesame balls Tang Yun. And it was for the mid autumn, you know, festival 
festival in the yeah. Netherlands. And that was always when we would have Tangyun. And I remember the first time I had it, the Netherlands is super, super cold. It's always snowing. Um, it's very cold weather. And like having, you know, what is Tangyun in English? Soup, sir, soup. it's like a sweet dessert that's sort of like mochi in hot water um and then inside is sesame seeds or any sort of other filling sometimes it could be savory but i remember this and they come in like a broth right like a sweet kind of sometimes broth yeah, yeah, Sometimes, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, the way we made it is just like we go to the store, you know, the Chinese supermarket, which was like super, super far away. And then like my mom would get it frozen and then you just boil it oh. in hot water. And that's how I had it. Like I didn't even have it wow. in the real way. I had it the frozen way. And I was just like, this is the most delicious thing I've ever had. Oh so Tangyun always brings me back to like my youth because it was just so cold in the winter during that time. And it yeah. was something that brought me so much joy and warmth in those cold days with my family. So um, that was something super wonderful to like think about. And nowadays, whenever there's Hangyun on the menu, I'm always going to get it. <laughs> I, I mean, it's funny because sometimes I feel like some of those tastes, like you were a kid in the Netherlands and then came to the US, but like that taste memory was like evocative from something inside of you, from yes. your DNA, from yes. your ancestry, not just you, Roxy, yes. today in the present. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. That gets me so emotional because it's like, I feel like we're primed to enjoy certain tastes based on like who we come from. So I, I think that's really stunning. Well, so Roxy, so food in your household, who mm-hmm. did the cooking? What was that like? What roles, what role did it play? My mother, when I was young in the Netherlands, she did everything. My father was always Mm -hmm. at work. My mom was like, not your typical housewife because typical is not what I would use to describe her, but she did all the cooking and cleaning. She um, really looked after me. You know, Mm -hmm. I think she gave up a lot in order to choose this family. You know what I mean? Because I think deep inside, she's extremely intelligent, very strong, very opinionated. But um, due to her culture and like due to the generation that she was born into, she chose to become a housewife. And so... Mm -hmm. um, my, mom, my mother did all the cooking and um, I always looked forward to dinner every night because she would just be, it was always, I always just remember like Chinese food, zongzi, or like oh. she would make hand make her own sort of sushi. Um, and then, but it's always like sushi with the nori outside, you know, it's like yeah. the type that you would home, home make. And then um, dumplings, like we would have jiaozi, right? Mm. Um, anything to keep us warm we would always eat together. Like I remember that she would make food for her and me. And then my dad would come home late after work and she would serve him his own portion later. Yeah. And then it's interesting because I had all these memories of my mother cooking when I was younger. And then it all sort of faded away the more that we moved. And like, as I got older, she cooked less and less. And it's like, you were talking about your grandmother's cooking and all that stuff. And I have very little recollection of it because the only time I got to eat that was when I was in Taiwan. Mm. And so I'm trying to think of a, of a dish that my mom made that was very specific. And sadly, I can't think of one, Mm. not one specific thing, because I think 
is always changing as we continue to adapt culturally to new environments. Yeah. I mean, Asians weirdly, I mean, I'm sure she couldn't find a lot of the ingredients that she wanted. She probably Mm -hmm. couldn't get exactly the greens that she needed. So she probably honestly just improvised. And I know it's like, it's sad that you can't necessarily remember something, but even I was talking to my mom and I was like, mom, what was your favorite dish growing up in Taiwan? You know? And she was like, oh, I don't, you know, just what, like stir fried stuff. Like she was just like, just dishes that were stir fried, you know? And I was like, oh, that's interesting that she didn't even have something that specific. Um, it was just more like the style, you know? So I'm You're sure- exactly right. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you talk about this because it brought me back to my favorite dish in New Jersey after Ooh. I moved. And um, my mom would call instant ramen chu chu mian. Chu chu is like squiggly noodles. Oh. And, and like we had like this instant ramen that was just like you know, um, and it's really not anything incredible, but, um, because she couldn't find those ingredients, like you said, yeah. it was the closest thing that could bring us comfort to Taiwan. So like, wow. I just remembered every, every Monday night for this specifically Monday night, it's like, and I'm like, Oh my God, my favorite. So it's just like, like, you know, instant ramen with like some fish balls in it and bok choy. And it just made me so so happy. Oh my like, gosh. So happy to have Chu Chu Mian. Like it's just so the best. I mean, I'm with you. I feel like to this day, like my mom's not really a, a cook much, but when she would doctor up like instant ramen noodles, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, she does them better than anybody else. Like I have tried. Abe makes them great. Other people make it great. My dad does fine. But my mom, when she makes it, it tastes better. I don't yes. know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> special touch? I don't fucking know. I don't get you it. You know? Yeah. But speaking of which, what about yeah. you? So for me, um, it, it's interesting too, because I think with my family, we always ate together. Every mm. meal we ate together, there were very few like good excuses for you to like miss eating with the family. And yeah. I don't think I, I didn't know that that wasn't normal for every family, yeah. but it was kind of something special. And I, I mean, my mom's controlling in a lot of ways, but I think in this way, I, I really appreciate the fact that she was always very adamant on us all eating together and in a multi-generational household. So we had my grandparents living with us at different times. We had my parents, we had us, we had guests from church um, very often. So we, it was always like this kind of bigger event every, especially dinner. Mm. Um, But my grandmother was the best cook in my family. When she lived with us, she cooked every day. And like one of my regrets was like, I didn't appreciate the bounty of food. You know what I mean? Like she would literally every day, I don't know how she did this. She would have a whole fish that was either fried or steamed. Um, She would have a soup, like a bone soup with like radishes or greens or whatnot. She would have like two stir fried veggie dishes. I'm literally, my stomach is so loud and grumbling right now, but, and then she would have like some sort of meat dish, whether that was like braised pork belly or minced pork or, or, she made some great fried chicken. Um, so she was like kind of the center hub of our family when it came to food. And I think uh, more recently, like when I was growing up, my dad wasn't the best cook. Like he would just kind of like make fried rice and there'd be like, watch out for fish bones. Like, you know, it'd just be like a whole whatever's in the fridge, throw it together. Um, I feel like he probably invented chop suey, whatever that is. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? He's using that exact same uh, philosophy. And so, but now he, you know, he was always very creative. Um, I think I talked about having a rosong and peanut butter sandwich, which was the most disgusting thing I've ever had in my life. 
Um, but he now combines his creative energy with actual recipes. So now he's amazing. And he makes like amazing like beef tendon. He makes great beef noodle soup. He makes great rozo or like luro, like all of it. I'm I'm very excited to eat my dad's food nowadays. You know, it's kind of crazy because like when you were younger, you definitely took those family dinners for granted. You're like, oh, yeah. how much longer do I have to sit at this table? Like, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And then like you don't understand like how much work it took for your grandmother or whoever's cooking to make all of that food at that certain caliber. And then now do you notice that we do that like with our friends groups, like we get so excited to like yeah. have a big banquet dinner with like our oh. friends and that it begins gives us so much joy to be able to provide food and to see like our friends enjoy it in the way that was reflective of our familial gatherings back when you were younger honestly it's so crazy to me rocks because like we always had meat fish veggies and soup and all of it was hot and all of it hit the table at the same time how do you do that have you i i I literally don't know like i try to make two dishes for my husband and i and by the time we sit down like the spinach is freezing like i i I don't know what to do i try everything i'm like okay but if i leave it here long enough and like switch this but they did it with ease and they did it literally every day for a family of seven it's so wild because like obviously like our generation is different now and you know we live in the states and you know people are having less children so it's not like we have a bunch of cousins or extended family or like brothers and sisters or any of that stuff so I feel like we're sort of trying to emulate that with our friends when we can right and so it's just interesting how this sort of like evolves as our lifestyle changes within each generation yeah well Rox I want to take it back to childhood Um, back going back in time to little baby Roxy wearing Uh. a lot of down jackets All of the photos of baby Roxy, by the way, are her in down jackets, yeah, a little beanie, like, and she's like a cold. little like little puff, like just a I'm little, a little puff dumpling. Puff. You're so cute. Um, we'll post some of those uh, this week, I'm sure, because you are too freaking adorable. But all the way back uh, in the Netherlands, what were you eating as a kid? Oh my God, because it's so cold in the Netherlands, yeah. you know, I think we ate a lot of foods that are rich in carbs and cheese and, uh, you know, starch. So lots of potatoes, lots of um, all of that hefty, lots of Dutch pancakes, which are so Ooh. incredible because they're savory. You know, they have like ham and cheese on it, um, sausage pastries, you know, like anything that has to do with like butter. <laughs> pastries. Give me the butter. Give me the butter at fried foods. Um, you know, that's what the Dutch were about. And so like, I know I mentioned on my pod before that on this pod before that I love Belgium fries because it's like literally the best thing. You have like a little cone um, with that checkered red and white, you know, wrap paper. And then you have like the thick steak fries (gasps) with a dollop of mayonnaise on it. What? And I know. And it's like literally the best fucking thing and like hate is going hate so many yeah. americans are just like males disgusting with fries i'm like you fucking bitches i was like aioli is just mayo and garlic i mean like get over yourself you know <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah i mean mayo is basically like egg whites so it is chill. and it's like yeah. so i always get belgian fries when we were out you know um on the promenade or like going out for a walk and you know my mom would always get me belgian fries and that was like my favorite thing to eat oh my God. um and then also the fish markets you know we would have herring and and Ooh. um you know those sorts pickled of herring pickled herring <laughs> yeah you, pickled, do you herring. Like pickled herring i didn't eat it but everyone okay. else ate it and also yeah. fried fish was also like a very Ooh. you know as 
as like a snack, like little like fried fish. I remember I would eat it in the car with my mom after we go to the market. And of course, Gouda cheese. Gouda. So Gouda. Everything so is so Gouda. Gouda. Um, <laughs> I just loved, I just loved everything about, I mean, all my memories of the Netherlands were so simple and and so different. Like, I don't think I, yeah. I've ever met anybody who's had a similar experience to me growing Have up. Have you been back to the Netherlands? When I was 19. After my Cambridge trip, because I was already in oh, Europe. Right. Yeah. How was that? Oh, it was, it was crazy. Like I decided to take a flight to Rotterdam where I was yeah. born and then revisit my old babysitters. Oh, my babysitter used to make me mental <gasps> and she was Taiwanese as well. And like she had like a daughter and a son and I would watch sound of, uh, sound of music religiously at her house. And I just remember her always had having dough and, and always kneading the dough and making manto in the wow. morning. And that's also a very early food memory. Um, and I saw oh, them. Mento, it's been like yeah. 19 years since I've saw that family. Yeah. Oh my and gosh. I stayed with them. And then, um, I also saw my aunt Linda who took me to dim sum. <laughs> wow. <laughs> did, were, in the did things taste how you remembered them when you went back? Um, they tasted even better. Really? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Cause you knew how to appreciate it. You appreciate it. And I was just like, I, it was, it was hard because like I was so young when I left, but there is still a connection. And I remembered my aunt Linda took me back to the condo where I lived. And even the, the people who live there now let me go inside. Whoa. They let me go inside so that I could. I could relive. I, I just remembered like where the bathroom was, how the stairs looked when I was younger, how the world looked when I was younger, oh like gosh. just being closer to the ground, everything like it was it was wild. Like they let me and they still kept the old radio that we had. Oh like my gosh. it was a really special experience. And like I remembered nearby, I saw the path where I took my first walk. Oh my God. I remembered like I was running. I like got out of the car, started running a certain direction. I don't know where I was going. And then I saw the little playground that my mom would take me every day. And I would just play by myself because Aww. I don't have any siblings. So I would just like <laughs> sit and like hide and go down a slide and, and do that a couple times every day. Oh and it was gosh. just, it was just wild. Like sometimes you just, there are pockets in your memory. Yeah. And then like you would go and rediscover them. If you ever go back 20 years later or whatever, it like unlocks something. It does. I'm getting emotional thinking about it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And the snow, I think, oh God, it's so thematic. Like everything is just like, ah, coming together. I know. I know. So, so then, but then like at home, my mom would make dumplings and, you know, like all the homemade food. And um, when you had like your mom's version versus when you went back to Taiwan and tried like the version were there big differences or were they actually or were they pretty indiscernible you know I didn't I didn't really notice the difference when I was younger I think because I was also struggling with being an outsider when I went back to Taiwan I'm the only kid in my generation out of two families that was not living in Taiwan so my cousins wow. were yeah I'm the only one that wasn't was a foreigner and so I I was struggling with being an outsider and just being in Europe or being in the United States and didn't appreciate or connect the food as meaningfully as I do now. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I, I didn't appreciate it back then. And now I appreciate it a thousand times more, you yeah. know? It's like what you said, it is in your DNA. So um anyways, that was in the Netherlands and like 
in Taiwan, my grandmother was famous for her mi fen. She mm. means this delicious veggie mi fen. And also her lumpia. And lumpia in uh, Filipino culture, lumpia is also egg rolls. But in Tainanese, there's also, it's also egg rolls mm-hmm. um, or some sort of roll. And then uh, shrimp rolls. My, my grandmother made specific shrimp lumpia. Wow. And um, it's fried. And I, you know, when your family gets together to make those dumplings, our family gets together to make her famous lumpia. Wow. And actually, just a little plug here, my cousin Joseph um, Xu Tanjie recently debuted his feature film called Gu Wei. In English, it's called Big Little Women. It also oh. played at Busan Film Festival this year. And um, oh, now he has a like a domestic release all throughout Taiwan's uh, theaters for this movie. And it's about my grandmother's story and my mother and her sisters. Oh and my god! Fe- I know, yeah, I know. It's fucking wild. I hope it gets a U.S. release soon, and it, it features my grandmother making her lumpia. So um, this is just like, I, and, I'm, and I'm I'm so happy because it sort of gets immortalized, you know, yeah. in this film that he made. And then I think also memories from you know my childhood was in Tainan in Taiwan. You know, it's like that alley that I told you about yeah. with the legendary um, recipes from. Every single family, latsen oyster omelets, lumpian wakwe, and also you know like shaved ice. There's you just hop from one vendor to another, and I remember there was this old man in that alley. He was in his 80s, and like every day he would come down and make latsen. And every year I went back, I tried to go visit him and eat his latsen until one day he wasn't there anymore. You know, oh my gosh. And, and, you know, and the food still tasted delicious, but it just felt different. He had yeah. no teeth and he was so skinny and, you know, his, his skin was like falling off his bones, but he would get up diligently every single morning and make a lot for his customers. I read this article. I think, um, Hochi posted it this week, um, or TaiwaneseAmerican.org posted it and it was about the Taiwanese language, right? And how a lot of it is, is getting lost even though they're they're matriculating it in schools more so the like original way of speaking Taiwanese is mm-hmm. is dying off. Yes. A lot of the idiomatic phrases are dying. A lot of the the and then um so the daughter of a of a father who spoke Taiwanese, she was like I'm trying to record how my dad spoke. How how my dad speaks. And she's like but I'm having so much trouble because the only way I can write this all down is by westernizing his pronunciation. Like capturing it via westernized roma- ro- romanticized um lettering, you know? And I I feel like language is so closely tied to food. And when someone does pass on and when that generation is gone, a lot of the secrets and the touch and the smells and the the knowledge of food disappears with them. And as much as we can try and enliven that and, and keep that going um, so much of it gets lost um, between generations. And it's kind of really sad because it's so ephemeral. What about your connection with like, Taiwanese language and um, do you ever feel like you want to learn do your parents speak it like my grandparents came from China and my parents were born in Taiwan Um, but especially for my mom, like, you know, she, she was raised in Taipei. Um, she only spoke Mandarin. Like they did not, they did not speak Taiwanese and it it was, 
it was very it was discouraged you know and her parents like my grandparents didn't speak Taiwanese so it wasn't spoken in the home but for my dad he grew up like in Taizong or like in a village outside of Taizong so it's like he spoke it with like the people in his neighborhood you know and he he knows a little bit he can speak a little bit but my grandparents didn't really speak it couple of years ago, well, 10 years ago now, I did um, a Taiwanese singing competition and I had to learn how to sing in Taiwanese and I had to learn it phonetically. So I took songs, mm-hmm. my songs, and I translated them into Mandarin and then translated them into Taiwanese and then learned them syllable by syllable. Um, and I still had such a fucking difficult time because um, my ears are not attuned to all the tones. Mm-hmm. And it was actually a very humbling experience because I think part of me was like, oh, I can always learn language. You know, I can always pick it up. But kind of like showing the value to me of one, of having that sound in your ears from a very young age. Mm-hmm. And two, being able to tune into the the melody of a new language because yes. it has a different cadence, you know? Definitely, definitely, 100%. And it's it's what you're sort of talking about. Like, Taiwan's such a small country. We're like the size yeah. of New Jersey. And it's, it's crazy to see, like, how culturally different it could be just from the north and south. Like, yeah. you know, the kids nowadays, like, in Taipei, yeah, they don't speak Taiwanese. Like, mm-hmm. a lot of people our age actually don't speak Taiwanese in Taiwan. And, like, the south, you're, you know, it's very natural to speak Hokkien and Taiwanese. But, like, yeah. it's also receding, too. Wow, And there's a fear of that loss of culture, that loss of language. And I personally think Taiwanese is so melodic and it's so beautiful, yeah. you know? Um, like, I actually don't know how to say Oatsa in Mandarin. Like, I have no fucking clue at all. I, I, yeah, that's the only thing I know it as. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's like, I, I really don't know how to, how, to, how, to, how to say it any other way. So it's just wow. sort of interesting how that's reflected in that way. Okay. So then I wanted you to tell me about like, has it always been just like you appreciating like those home cooked meals that your mom and your grandmother made for you? And was there ever a disconnect? Like when you started going to school and like having cafeteria food or like American food or like just growing up trying to make that immersion sort of yeah. more cohesive with your family. What was that like? I would say as a kid, I wasn't that interested in food. I, I was a very, very skinny little kid. I was sick all the time. Um, food was definitely like whatever was put down in front of me, I would eat, but I wasn't big on food. Um, my sister Rose and I used to often empty our bowls into our sister Vicky's bowl so that mm. we wouldn't have to eat as much. Like we'd be like, Vicky, look over there. And then we would like put spoonfuls of food into her bowl so we wouldn't have to eat um so i definitely don't think i appreciated it enough and so i think just to show how much i took for granted i grew up in the 626 which um the 626 is what it is now it's in the realm of popular awareness but Mm -hmm. back in the day it was just a a high concentration of Chinese, Taiwanese, um, and, um, Hong Kong restaurants mm-hmm. all concentrated in one tiny area. Um, mm-hmm. because a lot of the, a lot of people that came, especially from Taiwan moved straight to Monterey park, which is right around the 626 and spread out into San Gabriel temple city, Arcadia. Um, which is why you'll see a lot of those high schools in those areas are packed with Asian students, right? It's like a melting pot of Asian culture. Yeah. And you can like eat a specialized, like, Sichuan dish and then a Hubei dish and then like a Taiwanese dish all in the same plaza and they're all like very like Daoti, like very like original, very classic um, and very good. And so every weekend my family, we would pack into a dumpling house or a noodle house, you know, jammed around one of those giant circular tables with a lazy Susan in the middle. Um, and, you know, they would order just 
like my mom would always ask the chef like what's the special of the house and that's kind of like or ask where the chef was from and in that way order according to where the chef was from or what the chef specialized in which like is such a chefy thing to do i feel like now but back then i was like mom like just order from the menu like don't be weird you know <laughs> yes. but she always wanted to know like where are they from because i don't want them cooking for white people i want them cooking you know the food that they're good at and like yes. that means something to them even you know yes. and yes. so we would do that pretty much every weekend um sadly my sisters and i would often just eat fried rice because you know we were just kids but i remember eating like tons of dumplings love dumplings and always like those thousand layer pancakes which yeah. are like actually require a lot of like so so gong, like a lot of like yeah. hand manual hand labor <laughs> wait that sounds like masturbation um but you know it, it's all of these foods that actually require a lot of technical prowess but we just didn't appreciate it and they were so cheap you know that in my mind i was like oh going to a fancy american restaurant or italian restaurant is better is is somehow according to class better than going to a chinese or taiwanese restaurant and now i couldn't look at it more differently like nowadays it's you know? like all that skill that you were talking about took so many years to finesse yeah. and execute that speedy handiwork you're talking about that natural flow it's crazy i appreciate dave chang because i think he is so like baffled by the fact that and, and i love italian food you know but he's like italian food is not any more technical than chinese food is especially from certain regions so it's so bizarre that you would pay 20 to 30 dollars for a dish of like perfect folded ravioli but you go to like fucking like a shaolong bao house and you pay five dollars for the same thing basically beautifully pleated wonderfully thin wrapping with with things filling it it's it's the same thing but it's just not appreciated as much like if you had to pay eight dollars for that people would complain on yelp that that was too expensive you know that's crazy because when yeah. pine and crane first opened in silver like i was complaining about how expensive <laughs> the neural mian yeah, was and yeah. then my friend elaine was just like well actually i'm i'm happy to be paying that kind of money yeah for taiwanese food she's like because it deserves that kind of respect totally and you're right. I, we just we just have to look at things differently from how much we took it for granted in the yeah. past. Yeah. But so, you know, we were both kids grew up with this amazing heritage that I couldn't be yeah. more proud of. Every day I say to my husband, I'm just so glad to be Asian because like. I'm so glad we grew up with the food that we grew up with. You know, I'm so glad that we ate the weird gelatinous like fish heads, fish eyeballs, like chicken feet. I'm glad we got into that because you're appreciating the entire animal, you know? Yes. Not and so just part, the filet. Yeah, exactly. And part of my philosophy is like, you know, I'm, I'm probably never going to go vegetarian. Sorry to our listeners who are. I appreciate what you're doing. But from a sustainability standpoint, I was telling my husband, I'm like, let's buy the chicken hearts, like the chicken gizzards, all the parts that this animal already had to die for anyway. And let's make sure that the entire animal is being consumed. So that's kind of my little way of trying to be more sustainable. But growing up in America, Roxy, what were some of your like American guilty pleasures? It's so wild because like as an adult, when I look back, I'm like, why the fuck did I ever enjoy that? Because it's just <laughs> processed, you know, frozen food that I just wanted to like or that I pretend that I like just because of my desire to assimilate. Yeah. Right. Sure. So I remembered like my mom would make like, you know, um, hong sao neuro fan mm. for me. She would home cook all these 
Taiwanese Chinese food for me to bring to my school. And I would renounce it because everybody else was eating, you know, the frozen square pizzas and mac and cheese and like, and, and because everybody else was eating it, I felt like there was something wrong with me. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. it's just that subconscious notion that you're noticing around you or like the aromas. And, and, you know, it's like that, that, what is it? The lunchbox moment that a lot of minority kids feel. And then, um, I remembered, I told my mom, I just wanted to eat cafeteria food from now on. And, (laughs) you know, I think she really understood why, like I, I wanted to do that. So she didn't, you know, make me feel bad or anything. So she started like giving me money so I could get school lunches. And I guess like my American guilty pleasure if there is anything is that frozen square pizza because i remember Ooh. pizza was on fridays and <laughs> yes pizza and fridays pizza fridays and that was like the thing and even like oh and those like um ice cream sandwiches oh my you God. know like the really basic ones that yep. have like the chocolate and the nothing beats them. center nothing beats them nothing beats the it. first time i had it, i was like yeah. why is this so great <laughs> like why is this so great it's so good and like, so you have to understand i had a very vanilla basic American upbringing in New Jersey. Like there wasn't anything that was like cultural or like interesting about like my, my child. I mean, besides the most basic version you can think of, because the most interesting thing I could think about eating was frozen square pizza. But it's like full on Americana, which isn't that so exotic for a kid coming from the Netherlands who grew up eating mostly Taiwanese food. That must have been like so alien, you know, because even for me, like a lot of American foods, like, I mean, I guess I was exposed to it in school to an extent, but at the same time, like even in my twenties, I was like, Oh, I I didn't know about these. Yeah. I didn't know how Asian my household was, you know, like, I I don't know. It's so crazy. I think for me, my, my American guilty pleasure would definitely be, um, auntie Anne's pretzels the like cinnamon oh sugar. my god that's yes like that's straight up sex in the mouth totally when you go to the mall yeah like you just gotta hit up auntie Anne's pretzels you do like the smell hits you first and then you get there and you watch them like make it to order and you're like oh my god like fancy and then like you put it in your mouth and it just like that cinnamon sugar just like melts <sighs> and, and the moans that emit from my mouth are just so intense so warm and hot Ugh. and the textures fluffy on the inside just hard loving. on the outside yeah just fucking loving it oh like a little yes. greasy it's so we oh my god now that you <laughs> say that it's like i remembered in new jersey i went to like wyckoff elementary school yeah. in plainsboro and we had a pretzel day oh so it's god. like someone would come into the classes and be like pretzels for 25 cents stop and then yeah and then they would give us a stick of pretzel like you know one of those big bread ones and then this is so disgusting. I don't know why I'm sharing this, but I saw a girl, the salt pieces would fall onto the carpet and no. she would use her finger no. to pick up the salt pieces and eat it. So I emulated her and no. I did that too. And then that, that's like such a fucking weird memory. It's so weird. Anyways. I love, I love yeah, it. That, that's just like total. It's, it's, it's weird. Honestly, I just want Asian food. I just No, you know what it I, is? That's not wasteful. Yeah. That is you being environmentally friendly, being sustainable, thinking about other people other than yourself. You are thinking about the janitor who would have to come clean it up. You are thinking about the people who made that salt, who dried it out and and worked really hard on it. So you're just appreciating the product, Roxy. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Thank you for validating my experiences as an eight-year-old. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know why, like, my sisters and I aren't 
morbidly like obese because like we would eat like okay mostly we ate Taiwanese food but then once a week we would get pizza and on Saturdays mm-hmm. we would get donuts and if we went to the mall we would all share uh, a pretzel um, uh-huh. and if we went to the movie theaters we didn't get anything because you never buy food at the movie theater because it's too expensive <laughs> so <laughs> let's not fuck around um, oh yeah but I was talking to my mom about um, so we went back to Taiwan a couple years ago um, to clean out my aunt Lynette's apartment like we talked about last episode and and um, my mom kind of like was walking through the streets and she was like, oh, this is where the double feature movie theater used to be. And I was like, oh, cool. She's like, our family used to go there after dinner on Saturday nights all the time. And I was like, oh, great. Cool. Good for you. And she was like, ha ha ha. And I'm like, what? And she was like, I used to we used to eat dinner right before and I would pack like either a bowl or like a couple dumplings into a napkin and sneak it with me into the double feature movie movie theater because it's a double feature and like you always need something to eat. And then her sisters would be like jealous halfway through like, wait, give me some of the bowl. Give me some of the like dumplings. She's like, no, you didn't have the foresight to think about this. This is mine. <laughs> so my mom had her own little like food rituals going back, dating back to like the early 60s. Um, but yeah, I think... Recently, you know, it was it was Harvest Moon, Mid Autumn Festival, and this is one of the first years that um, I celebrated like not with family. I don't know about if that was weird for you to be in Utah, um, but I went up on the roof and I, I I looked up at the moon and I just started sobbing. I started sobbing because all of a sudden, like we were saying, like all of a sudden it dislodged all of these past memories of of going outside with my family, looking up at the moon, coming back inside um, to a table just piled high, glistening with like la ro and like tofu gan and, you know, luscious stir fried mushrooms and steaming boughs and like always ending this, the meal with like some piping hot bone soup of some kind, whether that was pork bones or beef bones. And I was just like, so devastated because I think I know one day I want to continue these traditions with any family that I have in the future, whether that's friends or children of my own, but I can never get back those evenings that were so commonplace in my childhood, so ubiquitous that I couldn't even see them. It was like you said, like it would be like, oh, family's coming over again and we're doing another thing. This weird Asian ritual where we go look at the moon, you know, Um, I just want to watch my VH1 and MTV. You know what I mean? But now I, I, I yearn for those nights so much so. And I can hear the laughter and the celebratory exclamations in my mind, but I can't regenerate that exact moment ever again like that is lost to me and that is something i'm gonna have to orally like dictate to future generations um but for me that celebration that night of joy those nights of togetherness are over and that is uh, sort of the topic we talked about last time in terms of grief and loss and, you know, having yeah. the past be what it is. And um, Goatees, we're going to take a really quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about, sure, the past is in the past and all of those um, rituals may be lost. But how are we creating our own rituals in the now and how will we leave them in mm-hmm. the future? So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hi, Goatees. We love hanging out with you every week. If you're liking what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us a lot, and we will be eternally grateful. Okay, bye! 
Welcome back, goatees. You have made it back for topic two. Um, Roxy, wow, you you changed your entire outfit during the break. I did. I am actually, a, a, I just want to be a drag queen now. So, you know. I mean, I love this ball gown. <laughs> Thank you. I love this glitter. I mean, I cannot say enough. Like those, your eyelashes look They're five fly miles and long. your brows are on fleek. They're five. Yeah, it is just all the freaking <laughs> way. I just always want to be evolving and transforming. There we go. Every time. Every time I look at you, it's like another another little thing. Thank you, BB. Um, but in topic two, we want to talk about food legacies that we want to pass on. Um, like what we're making now and what we hope to pass on to future generations. Um, rocks. How do you how do you think of like food nowadays? Um, I yeah, it's really interesting because I feel like I live a pretty isolated life. You know, like um, I I explore a lot of my own. You know, my parents have been in Taiwan for I think twelve years now. Not no fourteen years wow. now. Like uh, you know, I've been on my own ever since, and um, I don't. You know, I live alone. I'm I'm single and all of that stuff. So it's like I like to discover a lot of things on my own or through people or my friends Mm -hmm. around me. So I take a lot of influences. I go into like these sort of different spaces depending on what is going on in my life and who is in my life in that current moment. Like I remembered when Hannah lived with me and Rochelle during the Mentone days, like she cooked so much Korean food. And um, and, and now... She's such a good She's cook. She's an amazing cook. And like now, and then I went through a phase of like mangchi, you know what I mean? And like I yes. just made so much kimchi jjigae. Hello, I love mangchi, yeah. bulgogi. I, I made love like, her. you know, I, I still haven't traversed the long tongue or like those long stews, those long-term stews yet. But, um... And I know that you've started your TikTok and you've been sharing a lot of traditional recipes and also Korean recipes that you're sharing right now. Um, But, you know, I just think, you know, and then also exploring like, you know, Italian and French cuisine and using cooking as therapy. I really don't think too much about it. I think for me, it's just my endless curiosity about food and like how I can make it my own and like, um, whatever I enjoy in that time, honoring the recipes that were given to me and making it in my own way that brings comfort and joy to those around me. And um, wow. I'm not really sure. I, I don't really think that like I, um, I try to recreate anything because I think that I leave that to those people. You know, like when I see my mother, I'll be like, I want to eat this. I want to eat this, you know, and I try not to emulate anything that she can make because there's nothing that she can make that I can make in the exact same way. Like, I think I take influences from people around me and I try to make it my own. And then if I ever pass it Mm -hmm. on to anybody, hopefully they'll take influences from that and they'll pass it on to whoever it is that they choose to share it with next. So yeah, I think that's the I mean, so of it. cooking, like when you're cooking, what does it feel like? Like, is it is there another art form that you partake in that kind of is similar to cooking? Uh, you know, there are a lot of cinematographer friends that I have that are excellent cooks. Mm-hmm. And I think it has to do with being very visual and like using your senses. You know, I think artists are all excellent cooks in their own way. Like it's hard to meet an sure. artist or musician or like um uh, you know, a filmmaker or a painter who doesn't like enjoy making food in their own unique way because it's right. like you're using your hands, you're using your senses. There's a rhythm, a cadence to the way that you chop the vegetables, the, the sounds mm-hmm. of, um, a technique, the technique. Yeah. And like the way the, the, the pot boils, you know, um, how it smells. Mm. 
when after boiling it for a certain amount of time, there's a real beauty and ritual process mm. to cooking, you know, that I think I didn't appreciate when I was younger because I associated with like being a woman, being a mom, right. being a housewife. Mm. Right. And now it's like you strip yourself out of that like negative labeling and you're discovering it's a whole fucking the task art. itself. Yeah. In itself. Mm. What about you? Like, I'm so curious to hear about you because you've been going on a crazy food journey. I would say growing up did not understand cooking at yeah. all. I thought it was mad. I thought it was a, a magic. I thought it was a magician thing. I thought it was something I would never understand. Mm. Um, and then I think in my early 20s, my husband Abe introduced me to the show Mind of a Chef, which which featured Dave Chang at the at the time and then um, many other chefs in subsequent seasons of the show. But in him just talking about the science behind it and kind of the mindset behind food and like really just breaking it down to like, you know, you need fat, you need acid, you need salt, heat, or, you know, like that book, fat, acid, salt, heat. Um, but you know, he was just breaking it down into components and it kind of lifted this curtain for me. It kind of, um, it, it revealed itself as a learnable skill because mm-hmm. I was the kind that would buy frozen things from Trader Joe's or like whatever prepackaged like meals from Trader Joe's that you could throw in the oven. That that's, that was the extent of my cooking or basically like heating up food that my mom or my grandmother made. Um, and so once I watched that show, food kind of started to become more of an obsession because it was like understanding the science behind it, understanding, Oh, this is why you need to sear meat. This is why you have to add oil to your pan. This is why you have to salt your meat. This is why you have to salt your pasta water. This is why you have to go low and slow for a braise versus like higher temperatures when you're frying something, right? Like all of these things, like I, like I didn't even know what the word saute meant, you know? And once, once it broke open, like why you saute versus, um, why you might want to blanch something meant so much to me because then I could make decisions on my Mm -hmm. own. Right. And so I think it started with like, for sure. Like, I think when I first started cooking, it was all, about throwing things into a pot. It was all about following the instructions like to a T, mm-hmm. um, like very, very rigid. And I, I started by making a lot of American dishes. Like I, I made um, pot roast for the first time, which is actually really easy and delicious. Um, braised short ribs, a, a lot of like American classics. I think I made like um, chicken pot pie, which was really delicious too. But when I start started getting more deeply uh, into the mindset of certain Asian cuisines, I think that broke open an entire new platform for me or like it it took my thinking about cooking to a different echelon. Mm -hmm. I think part of it was just understanding not just the technique, but the way that vegetables are treated, the way that ingredients are treated, the way that uh, you can use a certain arsenal of pantry staples to to recreate flavors from any like region, you know, Um, it was really exciting to me. And and of course, so, you know, my husband, he's Korean. And I think through him, um, I've I've come to appreciate Korean food in a much deeper way because I just kind of always I knew Korean food was delicious, but I never knew how simple it, uh, many of the dishes are. But in that simplicity comes so much respect and integrity and um, one of our early like arguments was I was like, oh, like we're all like a little hungover. We have leftovers. Why don't we make fried rice? He's like, OK, OK, cool. Let's make fried rice. And I was pulling out every ingredient from the fridge because for me being Chinese, like fried rice meant every leftover in the fridge. Take out the fish, take out the sausages from the other day, chop up a hot dog, get like this going, get that going. Oh, we have some broccoli. Oh, we have this. And I was like 
put maybe 30 ingredients out on the table. And my husband was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, we're making fried rice. He's like, fried rice is five ingredients. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, fried rice is rice, sesame oil, kimchi, uh, gochujang, and gochugaru. Kimchi bokumbap. Kimchi bokumbap. Yeah. And then some sort of like meat, if you have it like spam or, or pork belly. And that's it. He was like, that is the ingredients. That's it. And I guess you can throw some like green onions if you're like wild, you know, but I was like, oh my gosh, like this is such a different mindset. Like for him, it was blasphemous to add something to fried rice that ought not to have been in it, you know? And so um, from there, I started like cooking more dishes, like, like you're saying, like solongtang, which is just oxtail soup. But the beautiful thing about it is it's just oxtails. And I couldn't believe it because I, I was actually, I bought some like cheaper oxtails from like the Mexican market. And I was like, okay, cool. I want to make a Chinese recipe, but the Chinese recipe required like 30 ingredients. Mm-hmm. Why is it always 30 ingredients? I don't know. By the way. It's but really, it, <laughs> really complex. It's, it's so many like flavor profiles. And honestly, I love Chinese style oxtail soup, but it's not about the oxtail singing. It's more about all the other in- ingredients coming together to create its own thing. With Korean oxtail soup, generally, you take special care to clean the meat first. So you soak it in cold water, make sure all the blood and all the gunk kind of comes out. Then you blanch it for 15 minutes um, and then you pour that off, scrub the pot. And then you literally put oxtails and sometimes like if you're making like gori tang, you can add like garlic or, or onions. But I mean, really, all you need is the oxtail bones, no salt, no flavorings cooked with water and then after four to six hours you remove the meat from the bones and then you cook the bones another four to six hours and then like it continues to yield um a different color broth and so what they do is they take the broth from each of these stages and they set them aside so you're basically getting an excavation of the bone Mm. as you're going so you're boiling on one layer which is bone and meat pour that off. You boil it again, which is, I think, still bone and meat. You pour that broth back into the original broth that you started with earlier. And then you just boil just the bones. And I was like, there's no way this is going to yield anything. But actually, that yielded the most white, milky broth I'd ever seen in my life. Just the bones. You have to be super patient about like the process of it, because I agree, if you want to make something fast and quick, yeah, those 30 ingredients can help speed up the process a lot, you know? True. But if you True. want to really excavate something, you really want to pull out something to its roots, then you have to commit to it. Ramen broth, tonkatsu right. broth, right? Solongtang oh. broth, like all of these take even days to simmer, you yeah. know what I mean? And uh, there's this really small shop in um uh in Tainan called a uh, was a Du Xiao Yue, which is famous for their Dan mm-hmm. Mian. The pot that they cook in, Priscilla, has been unwashed for a hundred years. Oh my god, I love that. They use that that same pot that cooks the rozao that they use oh. every single day. It sits right there at the front of the shop, unwashed. Oh my gosh. I honestly, I know the U.S. like food and health, food, health and safety would have a field day with that. (laughs) But I think there's so much value into like all those microbes, all of those like like molecules just kind of playing with one another, the new and the old marrying together. I, I, ah. That's the kind of shit that makes me so happy and so excited. This is like literally you're eating history. You know what I mean? You're eating history. Yeah. It's like going to the Louvre and like (laughs) taking a a bite out of like a sculpture. (laughs) It's like literally uh, that sacred and that precious, you know? So I think from learning about Korean food, I started to 
want to delve into the history of Taiwanese food. And I'm still in the process of doing that. And like you said, with your mom, like I'm sometimes a little bit afraid to tackle Taiwanese dishes because I think I'm too emotional about it. And if it's not right, I'm going to be a little too upset. And if it's, if I can't, if I can't crack the code on this food memory, I think I get a little bit depressed. I don't know if that makes any sense to you. Is that also why I haven't traversed Taiwanese food yet? I think I'm procrastinating on it for the exact same reason. Ah, isn't that so, like... I'm happy to explore everything yeah. else, but I, I can't touch Taiwanese food because it's so sacred to Yes, me. there's an inherent risk involved that isn't with yes. other cuisines. Yes, and because we didn't grow up in Taiwan, I almost I almost feel... Not that I don't deserve it, but like, I almost feel like I don't have the honor. You know, yeah. it's, it's kind of weird. It's like, you know what you don't know versus other things where like, you don't know what you don't know. So you're like fearless. Yes, exactly. And, and, you know, I think coming from Taiwanese families, our parents, our families, our aunts and uncles are very hypercritical of food. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think we know that and we know the nuances of what they would expect and what they would desire out of certain dishes and like i think that makes it a little more it makes me more trepidatious mm -hmm. yeah i just feel like uh, it's like oh you're taiwanese speak taiwanese you know what i mean it, it's sort yeah. of that that same crazy subconscious expectation that you hold for yourself and how that sort of aligns in the very same way like i didn't grow up there I'm, i look it i am it people see it therefore if i do right. it it must be exactly right but we've never yeah, I have that same fear too. It's so wild. It, it's super wild. And like, I think, I think also like the history of Taiwanese food is really interesting because a lot of it, I mean, it's not, obviously there's like native, there's food that are native to, to Taiwanese people, mm -hmm. like the, from like the Hakka people. Mm -hmm. But a lot of Taiwanese food as we know it today is a literal hybrid or fusion of various regions of China mixed with what was available in Taiwan mixed with the Taiwanese culture. Um, and a lot of Taiwanese food, like, like, like original Taiwanese food was relegated to the outskirts mm -hmm. of society, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know? And, and, and so that's complicated because all of Taiwanese food is saturated in political meaning. And I think even with like beef noodle soup, beef noodle soup um, came out of like, a bunch of different families living in these temporary military camps and, and kind of taking elements of Sichuan food and like elements of just like Taiwanese food and, and elements of different parts of China um, with like more flour based noodles and, and merging those all together into the dish that we now know, but it's wrought out of a lot of, uh, you know, hairy political situations. Also it's like, uh, what is it? The Korean food, like when I first heard of it, oh. I was just like, I don't know if I feel like I would want to eat like a Korean spicy stew with baked beans in it, American cheese yeah. in it. You know what I mean? Like it just sounded like yeah. a clusterfuck. But then like when you have it the right way, it is so oh. umami and it, it, it's, it's so, so weird. Good. It's like it's yeah. like the blending of it, however they mastered it, like like going through hard times in war and being able to create something fusion from processed foods that are super cheap fused with a cheaper way of making like a traditional Korean based stew like that is ingrained in its history, you know, like. Yes. And the like Korean cuisine, when it comes to Korean cuisine, the ability to create something delicious out of necessity and out of scarcity is mind boggling. Yeah, it is so mind boggling and it is so 
precious and it so respects the integrity of the ingredients, you know, and and there's nothing out of place yeah. in a way. And and it's like it's not shameful to like spam. It's not shameful to like cheap processed ingredients it's like it's still something that they have in their everyday diet you know what i mean like when they make like raboki or something like that and then they'll still put sausages in it like i just i just love it like yeah unapologetic so good right and i think with a lot of vietnamese food and filipino food which are 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 not necessarily our areas of expertise um but it's something i want to continue learning about um you know with vietnamese food it's the the merge uh with with french food due to colonialism do rot from again a lot of pain a lot of political uh, context and then with with filipino food like you know the very kind of similar to the way korean food adopted a lot of americanized ingredients um filipino food operates in a lot of similar ways and um all of it is wrought from colonialism wrought from a lot of pain again you know and so i think to fully appreciate the food is to have a deeper understanding of the history um because like language like art all of it is tied together we're so used to being colonized that we make colonization a fusion ingredient in <laughs> our and what's rooted in us, like Vietnamese banh mi too, right? I'll take it as Asians know how to make shit taste good. Hell the fuck, yeah, we do. Asians know how to take your basic ass ingredient and make that shit. Sing. Which is why I can't wait to get out of Park City. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> I am really looking forward to that. But my last question for you, Prisca, okay. um, is what is your pièce de résistance? Okay. I think this is a tough one because I feel like everything that I've been making is a true work in progress. I would say I've been working on my Luro Fen recipe the longest and I'm getting closer and closer to how I want it to be Um, or how I not how I want it to be. Cause that would imply I have some sort of control over it, but I'm still waiting for that moment where I take a bite and I'm transported. Yes. I'm, I'm not there yet. And I know that, but I'm getting closer. I can, it's like, I'm working on a time machine and I'm just kind of like ticking away at different knobs and like, it's not bringing me to the right. I I haven't calibrated it correctly yet, but it's starting to transport me somewhere. Like my toes are showing up in the 1800s is what's happening. (laughs) Um, But I think the dish that I'm actually very proud of um, because it was my favorite growing up is um, which is just like tomato and eggs. And it is so simple, but like to get it right, like I probably have to do it a thousand more times to get it like quote unquote right. But it's a dish that I always enjoy because it's so humbling to me that like it's all about respecting the ingredients and it's all about getting the right timing and and not doing too much. Cause I think I have a a tendency to want to do too much, but I'll share my recipe really quick because it's so simple, but basically you just, you overbeat an egg because with Chinese cooking, like in French cooking, they're like, don't overbeat the egg for most, for most recipes. But for Chinese cooking, overbeat those eggs. You overbeat the eggs. Don't add any salt, um, to a hot pan, add, add oil, maybe about a tablespoon, maybe a little more, more, a little more than you maybe want to pour in those eggs. Once it's hot, don't, touch the eggs until it's about like 60% done. Then you kind of shove it to the side and you stir fry the tomatoes on their own in the oil. Stir fry the tomatoes until they change color and you want to salt the tomatoes. Don't salt the eggs. They'll turn rubbery. Salt the tomatoes. You um, stir fry that until the tomatoes kind of turn like a lighter color, like a whitish pink uh, red. And then um, 
you mix it all together, put the lid on for a minute, add some scallions, bitch, you're done. For a visual representation of that, you could follow Prisca <laughs> Cooks on TikTok. And uh, because I'm a visual learner, I was like, I was listening to all that. Yeah. I was like, when well, the time man, time pink. Um, yeah. Then go <laughs> and then- <laughs> so, girl, I'm with you. Sorry. I was just like, I was just like, you know, I think the best thing is simplicity and and the mastery yeah. of simplicity, getting the timing right. I think chefs have to go through a process where it's like, oh, poach an egg, oh, hard boil an egg, like like every single stage of yeah. this of this one thing could turn out to be something different. And your mastery of that is understanding the temperature and the timing and like what yeah. it is that you're making to marry all of that with that one specific yeah. ingredient. And so I'm with you, but I am not like, I think I'm still, I I would love to cook a lot more. I just don't think I have the time or space to really explore nowadays, but it's like, I'm a big stew person. I could let something fucking boil on low heat for like three hours. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm a total soup and noodle girl. Like, Oh. I I think something that I really love making is like butter shiitake mushroom soy sauce pasta oh my with God. garlic my in it. Yeah. And like getting it really oily, buttery and like <gasps> umami with the soy sauce and butter in those noodles. Um, that's oh something, God. a comfort food that I s- sincerely enjoy. A good kimchi jjigae, you know what I mean? With a lot yeah. of pork belly in it. Um, to get that soup super fatty and like acidic, yep. right? With the kimchi. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, and also I think I have a huge like Korean food love too. Like even something as simple as like making Korean barbecue, some gapsal nights or like making those wraps oh, and like some gapsal, some you know, and, uh, you know, yeah. just, just having, or oh, hot pot. Yeah. Shabu oh, nights. Hot pot. Hot pot is like so simple, so good. And it's soul nourishing for sure and you know i think shabu shabu is a perfect example of that because you're talking about like high quality ingredients vegetables yeah. good cuts of meat literally a, a a pot of like hot water with kelp in it and then you have ponzu sauce and goma sauce on the side and that's literally that's it. it yeah that's it how masterful is that it's great <laughs> um okay my my final question for you because you answered the ps de resistance um what dish now that you make represents like home for you in the present i just i feel like you've asked me this question before and i have no fucking clue because i still feel like i'm not grounded Mm. right and i think i'm just always seeking the next thing Mm. something that grounds me i actually don't know priscilla I think like you, like dropping off Lurofen is like the greatest thing that could remind me of anything. And, and, you know, I think like going through different stages of my life because I've been so nomadic my whole life is that a certain dish will bring me back to a certain chapter. And I think that's what represents home to me, you know, you know, will always make me think of home and like, um, you know, whatever Rochelle makes for me, you know, like. That will always remember me thinking of our home and like, yeah. so it's like, I think different that home is such a, it's still a evolving term for me in terms of what it represents at a certain stage of my life. Um, what about you? What is home? So I think, you know, my husband and I, when we were living in Ashland, we didn't have access to Asian ingredients really. Um, so we had to kind of figure out how to make things that would make us feel comfortable. Um, and so we started 
making yeah samgyeopsal like korean barbecue and he would start he started making kimchi jjigae um and we would start making our own panchan um and by the end of it there we have a meal that we do with like samgyeopsal and then also like pork jowl with kimchi jjigae like a side of like um pot like green onion salad um a couple other panchans some kimchi um perilla leaves lettuce like making sam all of that, like we have so much fun doing it together. We know how to divvy up the tasks. And when we have that, that to me represents like our home. I love that. Your well, home. Note, yeah, your current home. Oh, ah, beautiful. Ah. All right, everybody. So uh, we are going to transition into our. Okay, so my picks this week are pretty simple, um, but I would highly encourage. I think this episode comes out after the election. So. You know, that's that is what it is. Whatever happens right now in the future, whatever you're experiencing, we're going to be right there with you. We're not there yet, but we will be there soon. Um, but I just watched the new documentary on Hulu called Totally Under Control, um, directed by Alex Gibney. Please take a viewing of it if you have time. Um, it's all about the coronavirus and how it was handled in the U.S. They do a really great compare and contrast with South Korea because we, America, South Korea, we had the same uh, first case on the same day and we responded completely differently as countries. I don't want to hold any uh, explicit bias until you watch it and see for yourself. Um, but it's something that I've been encouraging a lot of family members to take a, take a look at as well. Um, secondly, Oh Wonder, which is a, a, a pop duo band from uh, London. I mean, who doesn't love London? Um, but they came out with a new like lockdown EP and it's called Home Tapes. And it is like the perfect blend of like melancholy meets optimism. It is exactly how we've all been feeling in lockdown. Um, so I would I would take a listen have some tissues on the side because it's very evocative. Um, and it also kind of touches on like what it's like to be in a couple during, during lockdown and how it can be difficult and painful, um, but also joyous. So that's, that's my pick. That's how about you? beautiful. I also heard about that Alex Gibney um, documentary on like on set. I think people were talking about that as well. So it's like, it's so good. Okay. I'm definitely going to watch that. I'm like, I've been, yeah. I've been just like in this like perpetual cycle of just work recently. So I haven't really had time to explore much, but I will say yeah. in Park City, yeah. there is the best main lobster rolls in the domestic United States. And I'm not just what? saying that it's called Freshies in Park City. And this couple basically, Basically, they used to live in Maine and they've moved out to Utah to open up their um, lobster rolls here. And uh, they've actually won the competition for like the best <gasps> lobster rolls in the United States. And it's kind of funny because all of these Maine competitors were like, what the fuck are these like people from Utah? And so like it, it, they get their um, lobsters overnighted from Maine every single oh. day. So Holy the shit. lobster is incredibly fresh. I've been using up all of my per diem at this place. <laughs> so and they have like lobster I mean, mac and cheese. Use it, use it for the best. Use it for the best. And, uh, you know, oh I now I've been getting their extra, their largest lobster roll whenever I can. <laughs> yes, like, really, it's so simple, Priscilla. But it's like what you're talking about in terms of simplicity. It's like the, they have a very simple butter roll. Then it's literally just straight up lobster and butter. Like that is it. Those are just the ingredients. Like it's there's I'm nothing. I'm so turned on right now. It's so fucking delicious. I oh my god. If it's not snowing, I would want to go out and get it. But like, I might just eat some instant ramen that I got Amazon here because there's literally no Asian food. Um, oh my god. So I'm just gonna hit that. And I guess the other like you know unsolicited picks that I would 
I would say to listen up because of the election, but then when this is released, everybody would know already is like Pod Save America <laughs> because like yes. obviously it's like that's where I get most of my political and insight knowledge on like what Same. is happening right now. So you guys, uh, and also I think people should be tuning in regardless whether or not it's the mm-hmm. election. You know what I mean? Just to be more informed about what's happening, um, and then uh, just just know what you can do to like take more action with um, our current administration. So. That being said, that being said, shall we? Let's read a card. Roxy's going to pull a card for the collective. All right. Send your vibes. And if you'd like to check more out, Instagram.com slash Sun Queen Tarot. Sun Queen Tarot. I actually got two cards that came out, but I will actually... I will read both of them. So the first card is the four of wands and the four of wands talks about like successful harmony, marriage, or like just balance in life. So it has like these, um, you know, four witches just celebrating together and like finding harmony and finally balance in, um, in your life. And so what I think this is usually a card of partnership. So, um, whatever it is that you're focusing on, whether it's like a business personal partnership, like make sure to like seek balance because I think that this is a really, really, really good time for that so um be cognizant of you know just your partnerships in life you know Mm -hmm. uh are you giving too much are you taking too much um and that usually goes across the board for these uh relationships that you have in your life so just be mindful of that and also you have the five of wands which is actually kind of ironic that both of these cards came out together because five of wands represents conflict so Mm -hmm. like you know just be mindful of the words that you're saying to your loved Mm -hmm. ones this week okay so just like just be like is this the right time to say this right now am i am i really trying to create peace within my circle and and my energy circle with the ones that i love this week so be mindful of like creating that balance be careful of the words that you're saying always know that your words are um are implicit of your um actions you know so one thing leads to another and that really determines the outcome of what it is that you're creating so whatever it is that you're saying and doing please be mindful of that this week if you have a choice remember to always choose love hmm. yeah i love that yeah Thank you so much, Roxy. Can't wait to have you back in L.A. I know. I can't wait to be back. I'll be back later this week. So that's very exciting. Yay. Well, have a horny week. Our lovely goatees. And remember, stay horny. podcast is hosted by Roxy and Prisca. Music by Abraham Kim. Artwork by Connie Yen. Please visit us at twohornygoats.com. Have thoughts or questions for us? Email us at hello at twohornygoats.com. In the morning, you're still here, baby. Today's outro music features Get Up by our friend Danielle Oda and her new band, Okie Talk. The song pinpoints the dreamy nature of falling in love, but also choosing to stand by it through thick and thin.
Love ain't never 